Hi everyone, my name is Christian Rallone. I'm the co-president of Wharton Fintech and your host. Today's guest is Jason Brown, founder and CEO of Tally Technologies. Founded in 2015, Tally is the first automated debt manager, helping consumers manage and pay down their credit card debt. Tally currently manages hundreds of millions of dollars in credit card debt and has made 100 million in payments since launching in October 2017. Tally has received funding from many top VCs, including Kleiner Perkins, Shasta Ventures, and Cowboy Ventures. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Christian. Great to be here. So let's start from the top. What does Tally do? Well, uh, Tally, as you as you alluded to, is the first automated debt manager. Uh, what that means is that Tally figures out the smartest and the fastest way to get you out of debt, and then actually takes action for you. So uh, to use Tally, you just first go to the App Store. Uh, it's completely free to download. Uh, then you scan in your credit cards. Uh, finally, you pass a uh, quick credit check. And from there, Tally actually takes responsibility for paying all your cards for you. Okay, And the benefits that we give to our customers are first, uh, if you're carrying a credit card balance, uh, we get you a lower interest rate and save you money on interest. So our average uh, customer saves $5,300 in interest. Uh, secondly, uh, we guarantee you'll never have any late fees again. Uh, there are $12 billion of credit card late fees every year, and Tally makes sure that you always pay on time. And then finally, uh, our algorithms uh, the, are really smart, and they uh, always pay the right card at the right time. And we're able to uh, shave 10 to 15 years off of how long it takes you to get out of debt uh, by the way that, uh, that we pay and manage your cards. And what was your motivation for starting Tally? How'd you decide on this market versus any other? Well, the, the, uh, the motivation really comes from, uh, actually from, from childhood. So uh, growing up, uh, there was just an immense amount of anxiety and stress in my family's uh, life as it relates to money. Uh, there was a lot of love and it was a wonderful childhood, but that is one area where I just always uh, could feel the tension uh, in our household. And uh, my co-founder Jasper and I, when we were thinking about um, the true long-term benefits of automation, we realize that you know it's obviously great that you can make people better off financially, but the real power is the fact that you can take stress away from people's lives. And so our, our deep motivation is to allow people to be able to enjoy their, their moments to moments and not have to have that um, pressure and stress that they currently have. And we actually, uh, we did a study, we used um, this thing called the State Trade Anxiety Index. and. We found that people with credit card debt, two-thirds of them have medical levels of anxiety when it comes to managing their cards. Uh, we're talking about like, you know, similar to if you're sitting in a doctor's office waiting for medical test results, that's the level of anxiety they're feeling on a regular basis. And so what motivates us is, is, is using automation that can not only figure out what's best for you, but do all, all the hard work for you uh, while you're sleeping, while you're you know, hanging out with your kids, and that we can really take that stress off of your shoulders and, and carry it ourselves uh, so that you can just uh, generally have a better life. And having that personal connection that empowered you to have that user empathy to create yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be on a different path financially than uh, than what my parents were, uh, but but even even some of that uh, that anxiety from childhood is still there. And and I think it's it's just it's sad when somebody 
Um, I'm a parent, so it's, it's sad when, you know, you should be enjoying, let's say, this moment of your, your kid's soccer game, and you should just be totally there, like, not thinking about anything other than just, like, watching your, your um, son or daughter play the sport, but instead there's just, like, this 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 pressure on your chest and this nag there, uh, I think that's just really sad, and and I just get excited about the idea of building technologies that can uh, take that away and allow people to just uh, generally have uh, better day to day lives. Absolutely, and you alluded to this earlier, but how does Tally specifically make money? Well, Tally is uh, is pretty traditional. So uh, when we uh, find one of our customers is getting charged interest uh, by their credit cards. Uh, our algorithms start moving those balances over to Tally, okay? And Tally charges interest. But the only time we ever charge interest is when our rates are lower than your cards, okay? And the way that we uh, have lower rates than what the cards have is we actually borrow money in bulk from banks and pass on those savings to our customers. So we're able to, um, you know, borrow money from uh, various different financial institutions uh, at low rates and pass those on to our customers. And, and ultimately, that's one of the main ways that we're saving people money is just making sure they're not paying the uh, unreasonably high rates that uh, credit cards charge. And specifically, when you're deciding what rate to, to charge to which customer, how are you coming up with that decision? Are you using traditional credit scoring? Are you using alternative data sets? Well, we use a, a very traditional approach. So one of the ways that we actually get money from banks uh, cheaply is by being traditional uh, because they look at our underwriting and you know it's uh, uh, heavily based on FICO, your ability to repay. And uh, because they like our underwriting so much, they give us much lower uh, cost of uh, borrowing from them, which allows us to pass savings on to customers. So we actually did a little bit of a contrarian approach of being um, pretty traditional in that department, whereas a lot of other fintechs uh, went the more creative route. Uh, we realized that we could actually give more value to our customers by uh, keeping it uh, traditional. And why wouldn't a credit card company do the same thing? So credit cards, they, they could, but they don't. So the, the thing about a credit card is that um, people choose credit cards based on a whole host of, of reasons, um, but most of them are due to uh, affinity, you know, it gets, gets you access to JetBlue or American Airlines or Costco, so those kind of things, uh, or kind of like short-term benefits or rewards, and that... Um, from, from a general industry perspective, that allows them to charge very high APRs. So the average interest rate for people with um, exceptional credit in, in the U.S. Uh, is over 19%. So they're charging these really unnecessarily high rates. And all we're doing is we're pay charging you the fair rate based on your, on your credit score. And uh, for most people, that means that they're saving uh, quite a bit of money. Got it. And who's your target audience? How did you initially identify them? Was it just you're targeting everyone who has uh, outstanding credit card debt? Well, it, it's it's interesting. So, so uh, for those that don't know, there's a trillion dollars of credit card debt in the United States. And uh, the majority of those balances are uh, people with good credit. So 660 FICOs and above. So about 80% of those balances are, are um, uh, prime credit. And so we initially are focusing on the um, those folks that, that have good credit, that are carrying uh, credit card balances. And they really look like the average American. I mean, we, we have customers that range from you know recent college grads that just moved to uh, let's say an expensive city and are starting a new job uh, we have MBA students <laughs> so any MBA students who have credit card debt definitely download tally uh, and then we have literally parents who have kids that are in college or in grad school and it just 
it, it literally looks like the fabric of America. I mean, 44% of all households have credit card debt. And uh, ultimately, people want to get out of debt as quickly as possible. So they want to be debt free. And they just don't want to be taken advantage of um, by being charged all these fees and high APRs. And, and Tally, um, you know, obviously has built an automated way to um, get rid of those negatives. And, and, and what's cool about Tally is it really separates the benefits of credit cards from the burden. So you still use your cards. You get all the points and rewards, but now you don't have to worry about those fees and the high interest charges. And let's talk a little bit about that automation Tally was founded in 2015. It was finally launched in 2017. You've mentioned before how a lot of that time was spent on getting automation in place. What signals were you looking at to confirm that you were on the right track? Yeah, so we were we were naive. We uh, we initially uh, thought it would take us about uh, one year to build uh, what Tally is, and it ended up taking us three times longer. So it was three years to build the te- technological and financial infrastructure to make Tally possible. And we literally had to build a bank core from the ledger up. Uh, we had to. Um, uh, be able to lend money, move money around. So it ended up being way more complex than, than we thought. And uh, at the end of the day, our, our, our guiding light was we wanted our home screen to be a, a picture of a person with their feet on the table drinking coffee. And we wanted it to be really um, not have much of an interface because the whole idea is Tally's taking care of, of the work for you. And that was, that was our guiding light. And when we started uh, offering uh, people off the wait list uh, to beta, we we're just amazed by the retention and uh, our retention now is 99% and our retention then was high, not as high as it is now because we uh, were missing some features, but seeing how high that retention was and how high the satisfaction was, it just gave us conviction that uh, the future is around taking off the, the cognitive and functional load out of people's lives, doing it for them and allowing them to worry about other things. Let's talk a little bit about those features too. How did you decide what product development was most important? How do you figure out what to say no to? We so so our guiding light really was that home screen. You think about most finance apps; uh, they're they're jam packed with lots of charts and graphs and data, potentially ads, uh, lots of things for you to do. And we found from our research that those kind of things they really ap- uh, appeal to the, the 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 geeks of m- among us who like to tinker and and all that. But the majority of folks. Uh, like myself, especially now that I'm uh, a parent, it's like, I just don't have time for anything. It's like any free time I have, I want to spend either with my my family or biking, (laughs) basically. And so the idea that we were going to make it so that that our customers didn't have to do a whole lot of work and that we could make them both less stressed and better off financially, that was our guiding light. So that was what allowed us to say no to a lot of things because if it required the customers doing work, we said, hey, that's not in line with, uh, with our vision for what the future is. A lot of people will look at you know daily daily active users over monthly active users as a form of engagement. Uh, it seems that you are trying to shy away from that in some sense. Like the less you use Tally to some degree, like that demonstrates that it's a better product because you don't need to tinker with it too much. Yeah. How do you? What kind of feature? What kind of uh, analytics are you looking at to give you that sense? Aside from the retention, which you already mentioned, is pretty high. Yeah. Well, maybe some of the the MBA folks uh, listening will uh, appreciate this. But if you've ever managed people. 
the best people require the least amount of uh, oversight, right? And kind of like the, the, the dream person on your team is the one that uh, they just do everything on their own. They don't really require a lot of input and they just tell you all the great things they're doing. And that's what Tally is for, uh, for our customers is we're, we're busy working 24-7 while they're um, you know, living their lives. And you know, our average customer checks in about five times a month just to see what we're up to. But yeah, it's, it's not based on um, uh, daily active users or anything because it doesn't matter your, whether you're opening the app or not. Like we're working on your behalf and we're, every day we wake up and say, hey, how can we move money to cards to reduce interest? How can we protect you from late fees? How can we get you out of debt faster? And that's happening whether you open the app or not. And you, since you touched on this just now, what did you look for in your early hires and how has that changed as, as you've scaled forward? You know, in the, in the early days, we uh, looked for uh, folks that were a little bit more generalist. And, you know, our initial team, I think, was about seven people. So we, we all had to do a lot of things. And, you know, one example is uh, my head of credit. I mean, he, he was one of the, the youngest directors at Capital One, and uh, his name is also Jason. Uh, and he uh, not only was uh, one of the best in the business at credit underwriting, uh, but he also knew how to write Python. Uh, and he was also very flexible in how he was spending his time. So for the first year when we were doing testing, we actually had the, uh, he volunteered it actually, the, our uh, tech support line uh, rang to his cell phone. <laughs> and so he was, uh, for a whole year, he was our customer service for our alpha testers that we were, that we had on the platform. And so it was just like people that are just willing to do whatever it takes to, uh, to win. And now that we've grown, we started the year at about 15 or 20 people now we're almost 60, we are looking uh, much more for specialists. We have not only, you know, let's say hiring uh, an analyst, but a very specific kind of analyst. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely uh, shifted from that standpoint. But what is consistent is we're looking for people who care deeply about helping people be less stressed and better off financially. That's our mission. And they have to be uh, exceptionally talented in their field uh, and really uh, hardworking. But it's, uh, we, we have um, seen a more specialized approach. And how do you manage that transition from away from people who are purely generalists to those specialists? You know, it's uh, for, uh, luckily for, for us, most of those individuals that were generalists have been able to specialize more because obviously uh, Jason is n- no longer um, doing customer support and he already was uh, exceptional in his field in underwriting. It was just, he was able to be very flexible. So most, most of those people were able to transition into more specialized roles. And it actually makes it a lot easier from a hiring standpoint now because you're able to say, hey, look, I want to get um, you know, the best payments analyst or I want to get the um, you know, best uh, data engineer on, uh, focused on this specific technology. So it's, uh, it's actually quite, easy, uh, quite a bit easier now. And let's talk about your co-founder, Jasper. How do you divide the responsibilities between you as a CEO and, and Jasper as the president? How do you deal with conflict and things like that? Well, so Jasper and I have worked together for over a decade now, and we, we actually met in business school. So we, uh, we went to Chicago Booth uh, School of Business, and he and I were actually running the Venture Capital and Private Equity Club together. So we got a chance to kind of test drive what it's like to work together. Uh, and he, he and I are very different in um, kind of specialties. He was actually a chartered accountant uh, auditing banks in Europe for PwC, and I've been an entrepreneur my, uh, my whole life. And it, we were just this really good combination of we have the same values, but we are uh, interested in doing different things. So I really enjoy uh, raising money and uh, 
hiring and doing things that are very external facing. And he is just a remarkable product person. And uh, he's this, uh, I call him a purple squirrel because not only was he this this chartered accountant auditing banks, uh, very uh, very financial and quant, but uh, he actually he has a, a really big shoe collection. He's uh, an artist. I have this art installation in my house that he built, and like he, he's like the only person I've met that is is as much financial as he is uh, design uh, and art oriented. And having that all in one person for a company building uh, innovative financial products is just uh, just a huge advantage. So he's our head of product. He really focuses on making sure that our product roadmap is um, uh, going to exciting places and uh, then I really focus on making sure that we have all the resources we need to uh, build product. And in terms of those resources, you've raised $42 million so far. How did you decide which VCs to partner with? How did you decide how much money to raise and when? Yeah, well, we, uh, we've been really focused on the people from the start. So our seed round was led by Aileen Lee. Uh, she's the founder of Cowboy Ventures. And I had um, known her from before. My, Jasper and I built uh, our, our last company together, which was backed by Kleiner. And uh, she's, she's just this, this avid uh, consumer product person. And for her, the way that she looked at Tally is, is about this is a consumer product. This is not, uh, I mean, it obviously is a financial product, but it's, this is a consumer experience. And how do we build uh, a really uh, breakout consumer experience that, that makes people feel something? Uh, and then Shasta Ventures led our Series A. And what was cool about Shasta is they actually had a thesis that we fit into perfectly. So they backed Mint uh, in the early days. And they had seen uh, the work that Mint had done. And they had, they had this thesis that, you know, the future is not about just, you know, organizing people's money and showing them ads. But it's about um, building technology that will actually do work for people. And so when we walked in the door uh, with... Uh, you know, this, this app that does all this financial work, they got really excited and um, they were as passionate about our mission as we were. So again, we selected them based on people. And then finally, uh, with Kleiner, uh, Mamoun Hamid, who was uh, previously at Social Capital and now is running uh, Kleiner, uh, he's somebody that I had known for almost a decade and somebody I had always respected and wanted to work with. And so for, for him and, and some of the folks on his team that I had known as well, it was about, hey, these individuals are really passionate about making people's lives better. Uh, and they're also people that I, I trust from a business acumen standpoint. So our, our board and our, our, our team at, at large, um, everybody believes in our mission of making people less stressed and better off financially. And it's something that really guides uh, our decision making and how we run the company. Could, could you give a few examples of how uh, those board members or those investors have pushed back on what you're thinking, maybe have challenged you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the very first board meeting, um, after the Series B, um, some of the new board members, they wanted to understand how we calculate interest rates. And they wanted to make sure, are we giving our customers the maximum amount of savings and value that we possibly can? And that was literally in the first board meeting. Um, they they want to know, you know, how are we tracking against our uh, objective of uh, reducing people's debt? So it's not just like, hey, what are, what do your growth numbers look like? It's like, hey, what else could we do to provide more value to our customers and make them better off? And I think that uh, that is... Uh, an unlikely thing that probably isn't happening in most um, finance company board meetings. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's really uh, exciting to have um, board members who, uh, who care about customers. Are they fairly deeply ingrained in the product? Uh, what, are, what do those interactions look like? So our, um, our board 
has obviously evolved and somebody like Aileen is uh, is very uh, consumer products oriented. So we have a lot of very deep conversations about um, um, brand and product, uh, whereas other board members, uh, it's more around strategy and, and how, how we run the business. So we've tried to, to, to design our, our board in a way that we have a, a good balance between uh, different perspectives. So some people are more into the specifics of the products and others are more thinking about the, the, uh, the broader strategy. Got it. And as you mentioned, Tally's your third startup. Uh, could you quickly describe your previous businesses, lessons learned from those, and things that you carried forward to Tally? Well, so before business school, I started a, uh, a company that uh, provided uh, um, tech support in a, a subscription format. And then uh, right after business school, Jasper and I uh, started a uh, company that made solar electricity uh, more affordable for uh, consumer households. And <coughs> excuse me, the the thing that has been consistent uh, for for me as an entrepreneur uh, is working on things that you have a a, a deeper drive to help people. Uh, and again, this is this is obviously very uh, very personal and depends on uh, your own motivations. But I believe that the the role of tech is to make people's lives better, and that there's there's so much sadness and bad things in the world. And tech is like one of the one of the specific areas where where we can actually make people um, have better lives. And so, working on a company where when you wake up in the morning, you know that hey, not only could this be really successful commercially, and you could potentially uh, achieve big financial dreams and goals, but like every hour that you and your team put in the company yields uh, people on earth having better lives. Like I think that's really really important, and I would like to see more. Um, founders uh, focusing on that. Um, maybe one of the other lessons I've learned is just around hiring. I mean, uh, in the early days of my entrepreneurial career, um, you know, I would interview five or 10 candidates and I'd pick the best one. That was kind of my approach. It's like, hey, you're going to see 10 people, you pick the best one. And now um, I think that's really flawed. I think the right way to hire is uh, you have to fall in love. Like you have to, when you get done with, with an interview um, and you think about, hey, let's say that we gave them an offer and they said no, like how would I feel? And if I'm like, oh, that'd be a bummer, but whatever, then they're probably not the right person. But if you're like, damn, like I would really feel bummed out and I'd like actually feel sadness and loss if they said no, then you're talking to a really good candidate that you should work with. And so, I mean, there's been multiple roles. I think we interviewed something like 60 people for our, our uh, designer um, there's been many roles where we endured an immense amount of pain and suffering uh, to have an open wreck uh, until we literally fell in love with a candidate. So uh, I, think, I think that right there is uh, solving hundreds of thousands of problems in your business. It's like all of those books on management and motivation and all those things, I think there's good, good things to be read there. But like if you have people who are not only exceptional in their field and they work really hard, but they care deeply about your mission and what you're building. It's just like, it solves like all these problems that you never even see. Uh, so, so that, that is the, the number one thing that I can, I can say is, uh, has changed about the way I run a business. And as you mentioned with Jason, you know, taking on that extra responsibility of being the consumer support guy. Someone who definitely, you know, you guys obviously fell in love with. And yeah. Fell in love with the I mean, the well. guy went from, he, he had something like a 40 or 50 person team at Cap One and was, you know, this rising star that, uh, that people thought uh, would, would uh, potentially run their card business. And then to come and be this, uh, 
this individual contributor on a small team of seven. It's like, it was just, he was so passionate. Uh, one of the things he told me in an interview is he said, I would rather be on the side of uh, the disruptor rather than disrupted. So it's like, he really cared about, uh, about what we were working on. And so he was willing to, uh, yeah, take that, uh, take that risk. So let's talk about the disruptor for a bit. You've mentioned the state of innovation among incumbents. One of the things you've mentioned is that they can do 70% of the product right and be able to, to hit uh, a certain amount of scale just because they have so many customers. How did Tally One figure out you know, when to step on the gas? How do you continue to stay ahead of, of incumbents? Obviously, you mentioned that credit cards wouldn't want to create a similar product, mm-hmm. but what's stopping another incumbent from replicating Tally? Yeah, so there's there's a a slide in one of the talks I gave that said automation or bust, and I, I really believe in that. Uh, if if you as a fintech are not working on something that banks sh- struggle with, uh, I think it's going to be hard to maintain any kind of advantage. And banks are good at vertical integration. So uh, under one app, you can you know see your city credit card and your city personal loan and your city mortgage, right? So like anything in the Citibank uh, vertical, you can you can do. But what, what Citibank doesn't want to do is enable you to benefit from products outside of city. And uh, Tally, uh, in the approach we take to automation, is very much uh, about, Christian, what kind of jobs do you need done today from a financial standpoint? I work for you, Christian. I don't work for Citibank. I don't work for Bank of America. I work for you. And what, what do you need done? And what are your goals and objectives? And much like a wealthy person has... Uh, you know, a team of people that are, uh, you know, grinding away in some office park while they're skiing in Aspen and, and living the good life. And, and those people in that office park are working every single day to make that wealthy person better off. Uh, we believe that by turning that into software and making it available for, for uh, free to everybody is, is the way that you really democratize the advantage that rich, rich people have. So what banks are not great at is this uh, integration across the entire financial industry and being able to do all different kinds of jobs for people uh, in a way that um, makes them best off, that's agnostic to who the provider is. Because we don't see it as like, hey, you need a personal loan. It's like, look, what are you trying to achieve? Like, you want to have a new bathroom and a new kitchen. Okay, that's, that's your goal. Um, you shouldn't have to think about like, you know, which bank do I get the loan from? It's like, how do we make it so that you can get that kitchen and, and bathroom for the lowest possible price, regardless of who is the actual um, provider of that service? Would you see yourself competing against a nerd wallet or a credit card then down the line? So, so those are those are ad supported businesses, right? Where you know, you you have all these recommendations for you, uh, and then you choose the products. Tally is about um, doing the actual work for you. So with Tally, it would be more uh, around, let's say. Um, you have a car loan or car insurance, let's just say car insurance, that your car insurance is with Tally, but every single day we are looking to see if we can effectively switch your car insurance um, to a lower rate somewhere else. And you wouldn't even know that the change happened. All you know is that there's an extra $10 that, uh, that shows up in your account every day or every month. And you just have the same coverage for less. And that, you know, as your, let's say your driving record improves, suddenly you're getting a, a lower rate and you don't even know why or how it's just free money is showing up in your account. So we're, we're, we're focused on fully automating the average American's financial life. And we started with credit cards because it's uh, one of the, the hardest, most widespread problems. That's what we're tackling first. Uh, but the long term objective of Tally is to fully automate your entire life. 
There was a recent New York Times article on the rise of neobanks. Is this an area that you'd see yourself entering, issuing your own debit and credit cards? You know, I think the uh, the bank as an umbrella is, again, it's focused on, um, hey, I'm this filing cabinet of all these different products, whereas we're, again, oriented on, you have all these these jobs that you need done, and... You know, if I could, if I could afford to pay a team of five people to work for you twenty four seven, like what are all the things they would do do for you? And they wouldn't be a bank. They would they would do a lot of things across a lot of different institutions to to make you better off. So I think that you know, becoming a bank would be uh, limiting for for our ambitions. And um, you know, maybe at some point in the future, if that's the best way for us to do the best work for people, it's something we would consider. But uh, for right now, to me, it feels uh, feels like it would really limit uh, our ability to be uh, uh, customer centric. And you applied and received your lending license from all 50 states as you were applying. How did you weigh the pros and cons of kind of going in alone versus partnering with uh, a, a bank to be able to provide those loans on your behalf? You know, this was way back in 2015. And we we're generally a conservative group when it comes to the decisions we make around money and regulation. Uh, we're very innovative and we push hard on the actual core technology. But our our view was that the the idea of borrowing an existing bank's charter a was a legal gray area, and that's the way that all of the fintechs were going. And secondly, is since we are so tech focused that it would really limit our ability to do the automation that we wanted to do. And so we ultimately decided that, that the, the more expensive, slow, painful route of going to every single state to get licensed, which it literally it's like doing business in 50 different countries. Uh, it, it has a lot of downsides, but the upside is it allows us to uh, control our own destiny. Um, it allows our, our, our technology to do better work and it allows us to be more aligned with customers. And then there's not the legal gray area that uh, would otherwise uh, exist. So for us, it was definitely a move slower and um, pay more money, but control your own destiny and, and be uh, you know, completely in the, in the black and white area. And do you think that any the, the recent regulation around like the fintech charter changes that decision? Like if you were starting Tally today, would you have still made that that same decision? You know, I, I hope the, the OCC is able to get it pushed through. I mean, there's still a lot of uncertainty around um, the Bank uh, Company Holding Act and if, if whatever um, company is behind trying to get the special purpose fintech charter, if they have to um, comply. Uh, I mean, I like the idea of really unbundling the bank charter to say, hey, I'm just going to be a money transmitter or a lender, but I'm not going to take deposits. And therefore, I don't need to comply with depository regulations if I don't have deposits. So I think it's a good it's a good concept. And it's something that uh, that could enable companies like Tally. But unfortunately, it's not um, it's not far enough along to be uh, practical for, for something for us to consider. But I, 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 I sincerely hope that uh, that it gets pushed all the way through. And final question. You have your MBA from Booth, as you mentioned, as well as your co-founder. What advice do you have for MBA students interested in fintech? I think it's it's really important to pick a company that has real tech. And the first and second wave of fintech were more financial institutions that were doing things that the banks uh, we're not doing uh, after the financial crisis. And they were more about feeling, filling up gaps. So serving customers that the banks weren't serving or um, providing better mobile experiences for, for things that the banks hadn't invested the R&D in. And I really think that we're gonna see uh, the existing banks eat away at, at, at those, uh, those companies' opportunities. 
But the companies that have real tech like Tally that have really um, tackled hard challenges and are focused on differentiating through through technology, that's where they should focus their time. And if, if you do that, you'll end up in a company that has just a fundamentally different DNA and a different uh, different way of thinking. And that's uh, that's the place that I would want to be if I were coming out of an MBA. That's great advice. Jason, thanks so much for, have, for cool. having us today. Thanks, Christian.